when did you realize that you were good at coaching people? It took a long time because it's kind of thing where, you know, un- unless you have a level of self-confidence that most of us are not born with, uh, it's not necessarily something that you would, you would sort of expect of yourself. And especially, and I've seen that in, in a lot of people I work with over the years, when you have a highly technical, even technological background, they don't really teach you a whole lot of that stuff when you go to engineering school as they didn't when, when I went to engineering school. Uh, so it was after a couple of jobs. I mean, I, I got into being the go-to person for the bank that I worked for. And, and at one point they said, hey, you know, we need a favor, Klaus, which was pretty typical. So need you to be our new chief acting. I said, what's that? We have no idea, but that's not your job. <laughs> Uh, it, it, that was in 2000 and at the time chief architect was not a thing right? that was just relatively new uh, and that was in the, in the two years after that was when I realized that yeah I'm actually good at the people part right? because when you're trying to stand up a function that literally doesn't exist nobody knows what it looks like and you're going to have to not just teach people what it is how to do it but also the rest of the organization, why it matters, because you can stand up the best active function in the universe. If people don't want it, then it's not going to have any effect. So, so in those two to three years, between 2000 to 2003, 2004, that was probably the time in my career when I realized that the people part is important, and I learned how to do it well. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with you. The designing processes out of nothing is, is a as an entrepreneur, that's one of the hardest parts. Totally is. Yes. Whenever I have someone on my team that's doing that, we have one right now, Andrea, she's working a new position that we're like, hey, we need this thing done. And you're the one that has the closest skill set to this. Uh, Can would you want to take on this challenge? And she's like, yeah. And so I make a point to like uh, when I'm coaching her, remind her you know, at regular intervals that she's doing the hardest thing right now, because if you don't, you can they can get overwhelmed. along that journey because it is a very difficult thing to do but it's a very difficult thing to do not the least because it is a different kind of uncertainty that you normally have in terms of what you get exposed to right uncertainty in at least a task we understand is the level one uncertainty the level two uncertainty is i don't know what the larger plan is so i don't know what comes next and then what we're talking about is the level three uncertainty but i'm not even sure i understand the playing field you have to establish the playing field before you can even get started on the other pieces. What are you looking for for like when you're recruiting members of your team? What sort of traits are you looking for? Personally, I look for curiosity mm. uh, and affinity for learning. I mean, yes, you do go look for your typical skills and is this a job you've done before? That's what your resume is. I mean, if your resume has the right texture, you know the person can do the job. Mm-hmm. So we're looking for are the other kinds of traits. Um, how do you choose to show up as an individual? How do you communicate? Uh, what are your dreams? What are your visions? What, what do you aspire to? One of the questions I always ask is, what makes you happy at work? Right? What do you actually like to do? Uh, which is not necessarily a textbook question to ask, but it tells you a lot about someone. If you can get them to actually tell you what matters to them when they go to work, you learn a lot about someone. Uh, the last question I always ask and, and this is, is, is a fascinating one, is, so what question have I not asked you yet, but I should have? <laughs> and the reason I ask that question is because that tells you something about, are they able to think out of the box? Right? It, 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 literally, I'm turning the tables on them and say, if you were me, 
what question would you have asked? And it's fascinating how people react to that. Oh, I love it. It's I we're going to become best friends. That's one of my favorite questions. And the interesting thing about that question, tell me if you've experienced this, is they'll uh, a certain percentage of the time people will tell you the the worst thing about them by telling you to ask them about it. Like you didn't ask me about totally, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then you got some percentages where they're just totally stumped mm-hmm. and end up saying, I don't know. But that also tells you something about that person. So it's fascinating when you come along. As you were going through this and you worked many different places um, in a variety of fields, which helped prepare you for, for what you're doing now. But as you went on that journey, was there like one mentor type person or a person that you learned from that really stood out to you? I was one person that I had as a mentor when I worked for IBM. Uh, that was sort of the interlude. I, after I moved from Denmark to the US, I, sp- I spent seven years with IBM. So you get to see a lot of large organizations when you work for IBM and start traveling and meeting with clients. And that's actually a, a really, really good learning experience. But I'd never had a mentor. It, it's not a thing in Danish sort of work culture, having mentors. So I never had a mentor. Uh, I joined IBM, which was just expected. So, so you know, how do you find one? That was the first problem. But I found a couple of, it, in fact, two of the fellows were kind enough. When you're a fellow, you're, you're something right? at IBM. You've been around for a long time and you, you're very accomplished. So a couple of the fellows sort of agreed to mentor me. And I tried to get them to tell me, how do you succeed at IBM? I'm like, I just moved from Denmark. What do I know? I'm, I'm in the US. This is a new company. So I just want to do well. And both of them wouldn't answer the question. One of them ended up giving me probably the best advice that I've ever gotten in my career. Uh, And I still remember it. Uh, What he said was, Klaus, you can be good at many things, but you will only ever be great at the things you love to do. Find the things you love to do, you'll do well. What are the things that you love to do? We talked a little bit about it. Uh, I, I love to create holistic value out of a bag of bits right? uh, that weren't necessarily meant to come together, but I can see how you can fit the pieces together and create something that's really meaningful. Uh, it matters to me that I leave behind a better team. That's the coach, that's teacher aspect of, of my persona. Uh, it matters that I leave to, behind a better institution, a company. If, if, if I don't feel like I can have a meaningful, positive impact on the place I work, not just the team, probably not for me. Uh, it matters in the end, that it has an impact on the world around us. There's a reason I'm in healthcare. Uh, because, you know, same as you, I have a lot of experience with healthcare and I believe it can be better. Uh, so I love to do those things. Uh, and then the last thing is what I've found over the years is I love storytelling. I didn't actually know that was in me until relatively late in my career. And, you know, same as many engineering-based kind of personas, I grew up a little more shy right, than, than you will meet me today. But I found the love in telling stories that matter to my own team, uh, to the people we're trying to help, and to the world in general. Have you ever come across Robert McKee? Heard of, but not come across. He's uh, written several books on the concept of storytelling. He's a big movie writer, TV show writer. But I read one of them, and probably because it was the first one I had read on storytelling. But it like it blew me away. They discussed the different principles and story arcs and all of that. And then you can be intentional about, okay, if I want to tell a succinct story to get people to understand how I arrived at a point, this is how you do it. I learned that it is a very bad strategy when you're letting someone go because they think you're telling them a story. (laughs) 
This is, this yeah, is one of my newer entrepreneur yeah, mistakes. That's, that's yeah. not going to work. Uh, but, but what's interesting is stories resonate with us as humans. Right? Uh, it is almost wired if you look at history and biological evolution. Right? The, the notion of storytelling is a very old tradition. And there's various research out there. Don't ask me how they came up with the number. Right? The research says a story that resonates impacts you 22 times more powerfully than any number of facts. Yeah. 22. My my initial response to that is like, I have no problem believing that because when a story impacts you, it actually stirs your emotion and facts totally. rarely do that. Yes, and, that's and when they do, the fact that you're consuming the fact usually on text and not in story form, right? It's usually a bullet point. Even if it does stir you, like it's a disturbing fact or statistic, it doesn't have the same resonance and, and duration of feeling as when someone tells you this story that you're interested in listening to and then it ends in some uh, some big point. And that, that was very eloquently put. And what's fascinating about healthcare is that if we can find a way to tell stories about their lives, you can totally change the equation on how people engage in their own care. And I'll give you a very simple example. And this is a, a true story. I, I had the privilege of listening in to this particular conversation uh, with consent but I had the privilege of listening to the particular conversation it was between you know a male roughly my age at the time I was younger uh, this is years ago uh, so mid 50s uh, and he was having a conversation with a clinical nurse they knew each other they had had conversations before and you know the nurse tries to explain to him you're not on a good track you know you, your data is all over the map you know this is just not going the way it's supposed to and it was like throwing water on a goose and it was like yeah yeah you know, I know you know we talked about it and you know how that goes right? it's like in one ear and it goes out the other ear and then started talking about his life and what he was looking forward to it turns out his daughter had just gotten engaged and they were she was going to get married a couple of years from now he was very much looking forward to that and then the nurse who was an experienced nurse, gently turned the table on and pretty much delivered the following message. I just want to let you know that in the current course, you are not going to walk your daughter down the aisle. That totally changed the conversation. Because now it's about something he wanted, not what the science said he should do. It's the, it's the difference between the contextualization of what are my objectives for life? So I will choose to do these things versus my doctor tells me I should. 